So let's pray. Father, thank you for church, the community of believers that, that gathers together in your name throughout the world. Thank you that in our country, in our culture, in our society, there's a, there's a certain freedom that we, that we take for granted. So Lord, I want to stand in the gap this morning for the brothers and sisters who are being persecuted around the world for their faith in Jesus Christ. Strengthen them during this time, God. Don't let their faith waver. I pray that you would encourage them. Let them see miracles. I pray for us this morning, Lord, that we would continue to seek you and to grow together in community and then begin to look for ways to serve out in the world that we would be the voice of the gospel, that we would be the light of the gospel to a world that walks in darkness. Father, as I, as I speak this morning, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. 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 All right, so we are now... A few weeks out past Easter. Do you believe Christmas is just around the corner? Wow, man, a bunch of Scrooge Bah humbugs, huh? Good grief. Before Easter, uh, we were working through the letter to the Hebrews. This little church, this little uh, Jewish Christian church, they have put their faith in Jesus as Messiah. And before Easter came, and, and last week, I want to thank Dave for filling in for me, uh, we were working through chapter 3. Chapter 3 is, uh, it begins with this idea of home, uh, God's home, our home. We kind of unpacked this, the, the idea of home and what it could mean for some people, that place of, of healing and rest and that, that place where you come and you could just exhale because you could be you in your home. You, you don't have to be someone you're not. The world doesn't define you. You can just be yourself in your place of home, that place you call home, that place where you put your feet up on the coffee table and you don't have to ask permission to get a snack out of the refrigerator. And then we kind of pressed in a little bit to this idea of God's home, God's house, how Jesus is faithful in all of God's house. God's house isn't built with bricks and stone and, and wood, the place that he dwells. God dwells, he resides in relationship within each that would receive Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord. We have become God's home. And within this home, we can know healing and wholeness. We get to be who we are because we can't fool God. He knows who we are, no matter what mask we want to put on our face. We have no choice but to be honest before him. Oh, you could try to lie, but he knows. And that's a place of, of rest. To know that God knows you exactly how you are. And loves you in that. Unconditional unmerited love. 
So that was the first six chapters, I'm sorry, six verses of, of chapter 3. And what I thought I'd do is I would just read them and, and remind us of, of what took place. I didn't put them up on our screen. But it says this, Hebrews chapter 3, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, hey, that's you, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is the faithful son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. It's the first six verses of chapter 3. And then... It came to this, verses three, uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. So as the Holy Spirit says, do not today, if you hear... Man, I'm, I'm okay. Today, if you hear his voice, do not... Like I've read this verse like a thousand times. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. If you hear God's voice calling you to this place of home, this invitation to wholeness and healing and safety, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your heart and stand away from it. These verses complement the first six. But they also speak into the last seven of this chapter, verses 12 through 19. And so they are transitional in a sense, but they support both sides of this, of this, uh, this chapter. And I believe it's important for us to unpack what's being said here the context of what's being said, and why it's being said. Now, we said a few weeks ago, this comes right out of Psalm 95. The writer is quoting Psalm 95, and it speaks into a historical account of something that Israel was living through, something that they were going through. It speaks into uh, the Exodus story. It speaks into them being in the wilderness, their journey. It speaks into God's provision, him providing for them while they're in the wilderness. But it also speaks to humanity's lack of trust in God, our unbelief, and, and even our, our disobedience that, that, that really comes from a posture in our heart in relation to the things of God. So let me, let me set the story up for you. Exodus, second book in the Bible. We find Israel is there enslaved to Egypt over 400 years, in slavery as a people. Now, God has finally heard their cry, and he's going to do something about it. Not finally, it's in God's perfect timing and his perfect plan. So he raises this guy Moses up to be leader. 
Moses has a great story of coming from royalty and just renouncing it all to be part of God's people. But he raises Moses up. Now, Moses is taking the lead, and he's going to Pharaoh, and he's saying, Pharaoh, you got to let our people go. We have to go and worship the Lord our God. And Pharaoh's heart is hard. And so these plagues come, up, come upon Israel, uh, Egypt, by the hand of God through Moses. Plagues trying to convince Pharaoh, it would be best if you let our people go. His heart stays hard and says no. Well, then the last plague, the big one, the Passover plague. All of Israel would sacrifice a Passover lamb, a lamb, put the blood of that lamb on their door. That night, the angel of the Lord would pass through the land and pass over all of the doors that were marked with blood from Israel. But all those that weren't, all of the houses of Egypt would suffer a grave loss that night. Their firstborn would be killed. I can imagine what went through the people's hearts and minds that morning when they woke up. Exodus chapter 12, Pharaoh tells Moses, leave. I've had enough. Leave. And he's so broken. He's so broken that he actually asks Moses to bless him because he too is lost in this plague. And so about 1.5 million people begin the march out of slavery, out of Egypt, tribe by tribe. They, they take the bones of Joseph with them. Joseph wanted to be buried in his, in his home country. And they march out into the wilderness. God favors Israel by making Egypt favorable towards them. And Israel plunders Egypt. And so not only are they freed from their slavery of over 400 years, they pretty much loot the entire country and they leave wealthy and rich because God is with his people. And they leave victorious. It's an amazing story of God's power and provision and, and his desire to free his people that they would, they would be able to be fully his people, that they would worship him and him alone. Well, they get out into the wilderness and a pillar of cloud arises in front of them. It's God's provision, God providing for them that he is going to lead them during the day. And at night, God provides a, a pillar of fire to give them light and to also lead them by night. He's illuminating their journey. He's not leaving them to their own vices. He's with them in miraculous, awesome ways. You can read about it all in Exodus 13. Well, Pharaoh finally comes to his senses, I guess. And he realizes that he has just released his entire free labor force. And he tells the army, you got to go get them. And he sends chariots and horses and soldiers out to pursue Israel. Israel comes to the Red Sea. The Egyptian army has got them boxed in. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire moves to the back of Israel. And God creates this shield for them. Light and darkness. And nobody moves. Not Egypt, not Israel. Later that evening... The winds would blow. God was still up to something. The winds would blow all night and the Red Sea parted 
and 1.5 million Israelites walked across that sea to safety. Oh, well, Egypt caught wind of that, and they were like, oh, nay, nay. And they went right in after them. And all of a sudden, they realize they're in mud, and the horses can't walk, and the chariots are all bogged down, and the rocks in the mud, and, and they come to the realization that the Lord God is now fighting for Israel. But it's too late. Moses raises his staff. The waters come back in, and the entire Egyptian army is drowned. God providing for his people. Now, that as a story, that's a pretty good beginning to the story. I mean, that's, that's pretty, like, here, here they are. They're in slavery. God does these miraculous things. And now they are free. God is taking, he's killed an entire army for them. It's a pretty good beginning as far as beginnings go. They are now on their way to the promised land, to the land that's flowing with milk and honey, which means they're going to prosper there. It was, it was, it was so prosperous that they called it the promised land. This is where God wanted his people, and God was going to be their God, and, and, he was, and, and they were going to be God's people, and they would, they would find their home, they would find rests, they would be able to thrive and not just survive. They would know what it means to be whole and free. But you know, what began so amazing would not end well. In fact, Israel did not live well. In fact, only two, only two people over the age of 20 out of 1.5 million would eventually make it into the promised land. Only, only two and this is the context of Psalm 95. This is the context what the writer is writing to the small church. See, the lesson he is kind of getting at is this. It's very possible to begin very strong, but end not so well, not so good. Maybe you've seen it in the lives of people where they begin well and end or live they, they, they've, they've missed it. They've lost passion. They've lost focus. They've lost that drive. I see it very often in spiritual lives of people where they start off as gangbusters, but then difficult times come and things happen and this, this faith that they once had begins to wane and they end up not ending well. I could imagine, this is what the writer of Hebrews the letter is, is getting at. He's, he's thinking about this small church and he's worried for them. The church is experiencing hard times, difficult times. The church is going through some stuff. And, and, it, and as I, if you read the entire letter, I get the sense that the author knows the people in this church. He knows their story. He knows their, their exodus story. We all have an exodus story. The story of moving from darkness of slavery into the light of Christ. The story of moving out from, from what the world pushes upon us to recognizing the glory of the Lord and, and walking in a different rhythm with Him. That's, we all have this Exodus story in our life. And so does this church and so do the people in this church. But as life sometimes does, this church is being attacked 
persecuted for their faith, which interrupts all kinds of things in your life. You don't know who to trust. You don't know who to do business with. Maybe you can't do business. Maybe you can't earn a living for your family because of Jesus. And the question the writer is getting to is, will they continue to live well? Will this church finish well? Or will their story be the story of Israel in the wilderness? This little Jewish Christian church would know very well Psalm 95. It's part of the uh, psalm that would have been sung for worship on the Sabbath. They know these words. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Listen to the voice of God, not just with your ears, but with the very heart and soul. They, they know this. And the writer, he begins this section with, So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestor tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with the generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. When this was written by this author to the letter of Hebrews, it's a thousand years after the psalm was originally written. And he credits these words to the Holy Spirit. And now we have these same words over 2,000 years later. But the Holy Spirit is still speaking truth to the church. And we can see that there's a few characteristics in this idea of a hardened heart. He uses words, rebellion and testing. Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Now, if you go back to Psalm 95, the, the, the Psalm, it, they, don't, they don't use the word rebellion. They, they don't use the word testing. Let me, let me just read it for you, what the author is, is quoting. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. This is speaking to Exodus 17. It's the water and the rock story. So there's Israel. They're out in the wilderness. They've come through the Red Sea. God is continually providing for their safety and their well-being. But they're complaining to Moses. We don't have any water. We want to go to Florida. We, we, we want, we, we're, we're thirsty. What, you, know, you brought us out here. We'd rather be back in Egypt where we at least had water to drink. And Moses is like, really? What? Why? Why are, you, why are you just quarreling with me? And why are you testing the Lord? And God says, well, listen, Mo, do this. Take your staff, tap the rock, water will come, it'll all be good. And so Moses does that. But he names this place Massa and Meribah, which means testing and quarreling. God provides for his people in the midst of the hardness of their heart, in the midst of their rebellion, in the midst of their complaining and whining. Now this word Meribah is used another time, some 40 years later, when Israel is camped out in Kadesh. Again, they're complaining and grumbling, whining, wah, we don't have any water, uh, what's going on? Did you bring us out here to kill us? Wah, wah, wah. And so this is where Moses taps the rock twice, and, and God's like, oh, silly Mo. 
he ain't going to make it in the promised land, but that's okay, I'm still going to give water. And, and the way this is this set up at the beginning of the story and at the end of the story, we, can, we know that this was a constant posture of the heart of God's people in the wilderness, that they were continually complaining and they were grumbling and they doubted the goodness and the favor of the Lord. After everything they've seen, they still doubted God's goodness and God's favor. And they were continually testing him and quarreling with him. You know, when they left Egypt, it was all good. They were on fire. They had faith in God. Look at what God is doing. There was Moses, and Moses was leading them with his brother Aaron, and, and the plagues, frogs, and flies, and gnats, and hail, and boils. Nothing, like, nothing says, let my people go like a good case of boils on your enemy, right? And then the Passover comes, and, and, and there's death. Then there's pillars of fire, the pillar of cloud, the Red Sea. They were with God. They were like, go God. Look at what he's doing for us. Look at how he's providing for us. We truly are his favored people. But then something happens. Life happens. Life always happens. Life tends to beat us up a little bit. Wilderness living could be, could be tough. And they begin to doubt God's goodness. They begin to doubt that he was with them. They begin to doubt that they are favored. Unbelief became the posture of their hearts. And with that came this, this contempt for God, an arrogance toward him. In Exodus, the people are recorded as saying, is God among us or not? Because they don't think it's going the way it should go. And as unbelief and contempt grow in their hearts, they begin to live into rhythms that are contrary to the goodness of God and what he had for them. We see this thing play itself out big time in Numbers 13 and 14 when the entire nation gets to the edge of the promised land. And they're like, well, let's, let's send some spies in there. We'll check this place out. God has already promised it to them. God's goodness has been on display for them. Well, we're, mm, let's... let's Check this out. We're going to send in a dozen spies. We'll keep them there for 40 days. We're going to let them walk around a little bit. So the 12 spies come out. Only Caleb and Joshua are like, yeah, oh yeah. We need to get in there. God has given us this land. It's his goodness and his promise that we're relying on. And But the other 10 are like, well, they have grasshopper syndrome. Those people are really tall. And we're only as tall as a grasshopper. So we probably shouldn't go in and take the land. They get the people all jacked up. They want to get rid of the leaders and all this grumbling and negative, um, negative-ism begins to take place. They want to get rid of the leaders and they want to stone Joshua and Caleb. And you know why? Because those two believed in the goodness of the Lord. Those two believed that they were the favored people and they believed the promises of God that they, they were going to get this land, the promised land. But everybody else went, oh no. The people are really tall and we better not go in. All of this after they have experienced God's provision over and over and over again. 
See, as unbelief grows, it turns into an arrogant contempt for God, which turns into this negative posture within our hearts, which then produces this, this grumbling within us. And it could lead us astray into disobedience. Hardness of the heart comes when we don't believe God. Not, not just not believing in God. Hardness of the heart comes when we don't believe God. When we don't believe that he is a good God. When we don't believe that he loves us more than we could ever imagine. When we don't believe that because of the cross in Christ, we, we are favored. Our faith in Christ, we are favored by the Lord our God, the creator of the universe. And see, when our heart comes into that posture of hardening, we live into that, begin to live into that by grumbling and quarreling and, and just walking away from the things God would have for us. I mean, we all have this amazing Exodus story, right? We all have our testimony, our, our story of conversion. But when life comes at you, and, and it's always going to come at you, what, start, what started out as something amazing could begin to fall apart. Doubt seeps in. Doubt is the subtle ploy of our enemy. It seeps in, and we begin to say, is God even, is he even with me? Is he here at all? I don't see him. And then we begin to walk away from the things that he is intended for us, the goodness that he is intending for us, his favor that he is intending for us. You got to hear me that God is good even when things are horrible, down in the dumps, broken. He is as good then as he is when we are standing on the mountaintop looking at rainbows and unicorns. The goodness of the Lord will never change. He is always good. It's not based upon our circumstances or the circumstances of the world. He is a good God. Well, the writer of Hebrews is kind of laying this all out. And, and again, this little church would know this because they're Jewish Christians and, and, and they know the history of their people. And it must be raising some tension and maybe raising their eyebrows, kind of thinking through like, what, what, what's, he, what's he getting at here? But he's not using this to, to tear them down or to make fun of them or to shake his finger at them. He wants to encourage this church and build them up. And so he begins the next section. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As, it just, as, as has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. The people in Moses' day in the wilderness, they missed out on God's blessing and favor. They missed out on what God wanted for them. And see, and the sad part is they, they, they walked away from it. Like God brought them to that place and they said, mm, no. 
And they walked away from the favor and the goodness of the Lord. They rejected it. But here we are, 2016, after the cross, we are in the new covenant of Christ. And Jesus and the cross and our redemption is our assurance of the goodness and the favor of the Lord upon the church. It is our assurance that God is with us. He desires to be with us. And he wants good things for his people. I'm not talking about a million dollars, but good things, wholeness. To walk with your shoulders back a little and your head up in the no matter what that life throws at us. Jesus came to give life and give it in abundance. Those are his words, not mine. Do you believe that or do you doubt it? And because of the cross, Christian, you, you are 100% forgiven and you walk in righteousness. You are righteous because of Jesus. Do you doubt that? Do you believe it? I believe it. Proclaim it. I believe I'm righteous. Go ahead, try it. Believe it. Even in times of stress and frustration and brokenness and challenge, God is for you and not against you. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Don't walk away from it in doubt. Don't reject the goodness of the Lord. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The deceitfulness of sin is doing this. You're not worth it. You're not good enough. God says he loves you, but look at the world. It's a mess. That's the deceitfulness of sin. Don't allow your heart to be hardened by a lie, but encourage one another daily. What if... What if in Israel, instead of fanning the flame of doubt and grumbling, what if those that had faint hearts were encouraged by those that were stronger in their faith? The story would have played out much differently. Instead of grumbling along with them, they went, no, brother. Do you? Now, this, remember, remember God, he's provided all of this for us. He will provide for us again. We can trust in a good God. We can trust in a God that favors us his people. He has promised these things and he will give them to us. Do you trust it or do you doubt it? What would the church be like instead of grumbling and and negative posture within our hearts that we would encourage one another in the Lord? That we would remind each other of God's love and God's goodness. Remind each other of who we are in Christ and the promises of the scripture. What if instead of when we're down in the dumps and when life has just sucker punched us more than we can handle, instead of isolating ourselves away from the community of faith, we would go to the brothers and we would go to the sisters because we knew that there we can find encouragement. There we would, we would be built up in the truth of who we are and in the love of God. See, this is about the community growing together. This is about the sense of belonging that we're becoming more and more as a church. Life has a way of dragging at us, dragging us down, beating us up. It it leads us down paths that are dark and lacking, and we feel like we're just surviving. 
But the scripture tells us, this writer, this, this church is going through that. They're, they're, they're in it. And he's saying, no, encourage each other every day while it's still today. Guess what? Every day that you're here is today. Today is only today. Tomorrow's tomorrow. But by the time we get to tomorrow, it'll be today again. Encourage each other. Don't stop encouraging each other. Today, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Remember when you became a new Christian? And there was that, there was that honeymoon phase, right? It's like, remember you started out and, and, and they, you got turned on to the gospel and, and you got turned on to the Bible and you just believed everything. Like, you, you were ignorant to all the doubts and all the, and all the reasons why, you know, well, he couldn't be really eaten by a whale because that just doesn't make sense. And all of those things that people say, you just, you just believed it for what it said. And you believed in Jesus just because that's what the Bible taught. And you had this fervor and this passion, and you were, you were on fire for the Lord. But we have a very patient enemy. And again, life has a way of wearing down on us like, like a drip of water will wear down a rock and the enemy drips and he drips and he drips. I want to tell you something. All Christians, and in the Greek and the Hebrew, the word that I'm using for all is, is all. All Christians go through times of hardship and doubt. We, we all do. It's, it's, it's a natural part of our, of our journey. And I, I didn't know if I want to say this, but I'll just throw it out anyway. You guys are all pretty good about not bothering me on Monday morning with those emails. I'm going to say that a faith that has never wrestled with doubt is really no faith at all. I mean, because I know that faith is a gift from God. And I don't mean we should doubt all of the time, but, but if you've never wrestled with Doubt in faith. I don't know. And it, we are gifted with it, but we are gifted into this fallible, broken human being that has issues. And so faith is never going to be perfect. But you don't have to stay in that doubt because we encourage each other that the God that was the same God that when we got on fire for the Lord in the beginning is the same God five years, 15 years, 25 years, 50 years later. God doesn't change. And we can put our confidence in that God, that the scripture is true. His promises are true. No matter what life throws at us, God will always be good. And he will always love us, no matter how unloving we feel about ourselves, no matter how unlovable that we've been made to feel by other people, no matter how hard life has got. God loves us and will provide for us. Do you believe that or do you yes, doubt it? I do believe. And I thank God. To go back to that time when we were young in the faith and say, man, I, yeah, that's, that's the God I want, the God of every day. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. Now, the last part of this chapter, the writer asks some questions and he, and he, kind, of, he kind of lumps them up. In verse 16, it says, Who were they who heard and rebelled? 
Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? Every person who exited Egypt and did not enter into the promised land, those million people that would die in the wilderness, every one of them began their journey with this deep conviction and belief in God and Him providing for their lives. They began this journey with hope and faith and an understanding that that God has got their back. Verse 17, And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? God was, was angered by those people. Again, this speaks to the old covenant. We are under a new covenant with Christ. The anger and the wrath of God has been put on Christ on the cross. But the reason he's angry is because they doubted his goodness and love for them. Like he wanted the best for them, and they doubted him. That hasn't changed. That has not changed, that the love of God is poured out upon us. We are assured of that. Christ is the exclamation point at the end of the goodness and the love of God. He wanted them to have a home, a place to thrive in peace and abundance. And today we have been gifted with that in Christ. Again, the ultimate display of God's love. And then in verse 18, And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they are not able to enter because of their unbelief. Their not entering wasn't God's doing. It was their own posture of their hearts, the hardening of their hearts. See, when we begin to doubt God and his goodness and his love, we begin to live into a hardened heart. We begin to live into rhythms in life that are are life-draining and damaging. We think that we can do this on our own. We think we can figure this all out by ourselves. We decide, you know, God, you let me down again, and I think I can handle this all to myself. And things begin to go bad with that posture within our hearts. We can't get to the end of this well without Christ and Christ alone. And his desire is that we live well and that we would end well. That we would live in victory, allowing him to love on us and to favor us. These verses, these questions that he asks really show the descent of, of uh, the hardening of a heart. First, it goes from hope, that we, would, that we had this hope in God, but then it goes to disbelief that, well, maybe God's not all he said he is into this place of just walking away, thinking that we can do this on our own disobedience. But it begins with doubting. It begins with doubting. I know that there are some of you in here that doubt. I mean, it just stands to reason statistically that you doubt that God loves you, that you doubt your forgiveness, that you're doubting 
God's favor upon you, that you're doubting the goodness of God because life has just kind of beat you up and tossed you off to the side. There's going to be some people up here that want to pray for you, that want to encourage you. Today, as the scripture says, today, be encouraged today. If you'd like them to pray with you or pray over you, come to the cross. If you don't want to come up here, there is more than enough people that would be willing to pray over you and with you and encourage you in the Lord today. Don't doubt. Don't doubt God's goodness. Don't doubt his favor. Don't doubt his forgiveness. Don't doubt his love. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, no matter what. I love you guys. Be prayed over. Be prayed for. Be encouraged. I'll see you next week. Amen? Amen. Amen.